Please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to Mark's Gospel and turning to Mark chapter 15. And reading at verse 16. Mark chapter 15 at verse 16. And in the church Bibles, you'll find that on page 852. And this is speaking about the experience of Jesus. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns They put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. You'll remember that uh, in our study of Mark's gospel, we had come to the point where Jesus stood before the high priest and Jesus made that confession in response to the question, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said that he was. Uh, He openly confessed about his identity. But more than that, Jesus uh, went beyond their question and he explained that he is the promised ruler of Daniel 7 and of Psalm 110, that he was the one that would come in the clouds Uh, and whose kingdom would be an everlasting kingdom. Uh, Jesus' answer uh, provoked an outrage. Uh, The chief priests and the whole Jewish Sanhedrin accused him of blasphemy. That is, that he was attributing to himself the, the qualities that belong to God alone. That he was saying that he was the ruler of the nations. He was the ruler of this world. That he is the one who rides on the clouds. And so they condemned him as being worthy of death. But they didn't have the power or the authority to carry out that charge because Judea was a subdued nation. They were under the power of the Romans. And so we're told in chapter 15 that they bound Jesus and brought him to Pilate. Pilate quickly discerned that what they were doing was really out of envy. Uh, This wasn't uh, something that had integrity behind it. Uh, But in spite of that, uh, Pilate wanted to release Jesus. He said, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Because it was accustomed at these celebrations uh, to release one of the prisoners, uh, to be able to celebrate in this way. But the people asked for Barabbas instead. And when he said, what do you want me to do with your king? They said to crucify him. And so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the people, ultimately had Jesus scourged. He had him flogged. He had him whipped. And at that point, at this point, uh, Jesus is now in a very pitiable state, a very weak state, having been flogged, as we have highlighted before, all the pain associated with that. But he is in this uh, state of being sent off uh, uh, and being flogged that we want to resume looking at uh, the experience of Jesus' suffering. And this morning we want to look at uh, some verses that we might, we might pass over quickly uh, 
because it's about Jesus being mocked. But we've already looked at Jesus being mocked when he was accused before the Sanhedrin. You remember that they covered his face and they began to strike him and then they said, prophesy. That is, tell us which one of us struck you. They were mocking Jesus about the idea that he was the Christ, that he really was a servant of God. And this isn't the only time that Jesus is mocked uh, because not only has he been mocked before the Sanhedrin, but he'll be mocked again when he gets to the cross. People will wag their heads at him and say, you who would save others, save yourself. Come down from the cross. They were, they were taunting Jesus at the cross as well. And so really this isn't an isolated incident here. The mockery that Jesus experiences from the soldiers. It's something that is prevailing or something that is extending over his, his entire passion. But we want to still focus in on this one episode uh, of Jesus's relation with the soldiers because Mark could have told this account without making reference to it but Mark saw it as important in thinking about the mockery that he uh, received from the Gentiles as well that it wasn't just from the Jewish elites it wasn't just from the Jews that Jesus was mocked it was by the Gentiles And so this morning we want to think about uh, the mockery that he received from uh, the soldiers. And we want to think about these verses in just a couple of thoughts. We want to think about the mockery itself. And then we want to think about the man who was being mocked. Well, first, uh, the mockery. Uh, As mentioned, Jesus would have already been in a very pitiful state by this point. But it's in this sad condition that Jesus is led away inside to the palace. It says that is to the governor's headquarters. Most likely this is referring to the courtyard of Herod's palace. But as Jesus is led there, uh, it says that they called together the whole battalion. Uh, A battalion uh, is a Roman word. It is representing one-tenth of a legion. And a legion represented several hundred. Most likely what Mark is trying to describe here is is that all the guards that were on duty were participating in this exercise of mocking Jesus. This wasn't just a couple of soldiers, but that this was a great company that was involved uh, in mocking Jesus. But when we think about mockery, um, it's important that we understand what we're talking about. To mock someone is uh, really to ridicule them. Uh, It's not simply the same thing as being playful uh, about something that was said or uh, simply teasing in in a playful way. To mock someone is to make an evaluation about them. It is saying something about who they are and it is to deem them as being worthless. Uh, It is treating someone or something as foolish and rejecting it with disdain. Uh, And that's something that we see even in Jesus' own parables. You remember in one of Jesus' parables, he talks about counting the cost. Uh, Jesus says, if anyone is to be his disciple, he says that they uh, um, they must hate their own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and even their own life. Otherwise, they can't be his disciple. And what Jesus meant by that is is that Jesus must be first in our life. That if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, then Jesus must be 
the leader in our life. He must be first. These other things can become idols in our lives. And so Jesus was warning that those who would follow him have to understand the cost. It does mean putting him first. But in that same passage, Jesus goes on uh, to explain uh, whoever does not bear his own cross cannot be his disciple. Then he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish it. Jesus is picturing a tower uh, being built, but not having the sufficient funds to complete that project. Having not counted the cost, the project that began in haste comes to an abrupt halt when the funds run out and there is a partially built tower that serves no purpose. So the people look at the tower and they say, how foolish. This person invested so much money in this and they have nothing for it now. There's no benefit to what they did. How foolish that they didn't plan ahead about what they were trying to achieve. How foolish that what they have now is useless. It it serves no benefit to the wider society. And so there is an evaluation that is being made, a statement being made about that tower. It It is no good. Why was this done? This decision is not helpful. And so Jesus says people will mock that decision. Well, when we think about mockery, it is an evaluation. It is saying something is worthless. It is saying something is not good. It is something that is foolish. And here, when we come uh, to this passage, we find that that's exactly what the soldiers were doing. As mentioned earlier, the Sanhedrin mocked Jesus when they covered his face and they, they struck him. They were making fun of the idea that Jesus was the promised one to come to save them. They mocked the claim that Jesus was the Christ. But here, the soldiers are mocking Jesus on the grounds of him being the king of the Jews. And you see that both in their actions and in their words. But they're mocking the fact that Jesus is the the king. Uh, First, we're told in verse 17 that it tells us that they went and they found a purple cloak and they uh, put it on him. Uh, They went and found, presumably, uh, one of the Roman uh, soldiers' cloaks, which would have been scarlet red, but a faded one would have more of the look of a purple. And they went and they put this on him because it would be a claim or it would symbolize royalty. And they put it on him because that's what a king looks like, according to them. And so they they cover him uh, with this purple cloak. But then more than that, we're told that they made a wreath of thorn branches to symbolize a royal crown. The soldiers would have found whatever was at hand. uh, And they found these uh, thorn branches and they twisted it into uh, a wreath or into a crown. Uh, And that's obviously an imitation of Caesar's crown uh, of the wreath that Caesar would wear but it is also intended to express mockery and pain as those thorns are pressed in uh, to his head so there's the purple cloak there's the crown uh, there's the reed uh, that is put into his hand uh, to represent a scepter there's the kneeling and the saluting Uh, they they began to uh, kneel before him saying hail king of the jews 
just as one would kneel before the emperor, hail Caesar. And just to make clear that all of this is disingenuous, they begin to spit at him and uh, to strike him on the head. So all of this uh, uh, is communicating their mockery of Jesus. But if we just step back and we think about what the soldiers are doing, they're making an evaluation about Jesus. But they're making an evaluation on Jesus based on what they see in Jesus. This man is the king of the Jews. The Jews are a subdued people. They are not free. They have no power. Jesus is standing alone. He has no army. He has no physical force. This one man standing by himself is a Jew under the power of mighty Rome. And they're supposed to be intimidated. They're supposed to take this serious. They scoff at this as being foolish because he has no physical threat to them, because he stands alone. And so as they look at Jesus, they see nothing but foolishness, something that they can treat in a lighthearted or in a frivolous way. But that same attitude of disdain manifests itself even today when people are faced with the claims of Jesus. The claim that Jesus has authority is something that people can scoff at. People can become very hostile towards. Why should I give Jesus any credence when he lived so long ago? A Galilean from another part of the world, why should I care what he says or what he did? People can have just as much of a spirit of mockery as the soldiers did here. And that can happen even within the church. When the visible church, people come and they hear God's word, but then the idea of conforming their life according to the will of Jesus is met with indifference. Why would I actually try to live the way Jesus calls us to live? I'm living in the 21st century. Everyone around me is living a different way. Why should I anchor my life and direct my life the way that Jesus says so? And so in a sense, there, that same spirit of this is worthless manifests itself when people who have been exposed to Jesus' word act as though this has no bearings on my life. What kind of things do we mock? The things that people mock are things that we see as having no credibility to them and things that have no relevance to our situation. If I think this is baseless, something that someone says, something that doesn't have any grounding to it, then I'm going to treat it in a lighthearted way. If someone says something that's even true, but it doesn't affect anything of reality, then I'm also going to ignore it. People can mock things when they don't see it as relevant or as true. That's what the soldiers are doing here. Here's a man, no army. He's a king. He's a king of a subdued people that we could crush with our pinky. And we're supposed to take this serious. And so they're mocking him based on the way that they see the situation. The, mo- the mockery of the soldiers is, is it's insightful because it's showing us their own mindset of the Gentiles 
as they're confronted with the claims of Jesus himself. But it's not just the mockery that we see in these verses, but we also see the man who is being mocked. You remember Jesus made several predictions about his own suffering. Uh, On three occasions in Mark's gospel, Jesus explained that he would suffer when he went to Jerusalem. Uh, But on that third prediction, Jesus became more explicit. And one of the things that Jesus said was that he would be given over to the Gentiles and he would be mocked. And here we see that being fulfilled in detail, that it is before the Gentiles that Jesus is being despised. But more than that, Jesus' experience here fulfills what Isaiah said about the servant of the Lord. That in Isaiah, it said, I hid not my face from mocking and spitting. And so these things are being uh, realized in Jesus' own experience. But as we think about the mockery that Jesus experienced, it's important that we see that they were making an evaluation based on their own conception of what a king ought to be. But as Jesus explained elsewhere, his kingdom is not of this world. And so their expectations uh, about a king do not naturally fit into an understanding of Jesus. Jesus does not fit neatly into their own expectations uh, either. This is why Jesus nuanced his answer to Pilate. You remember he said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said so. In other words, he wouldn't deny that he was the king, but he didn't want to affirm the way that Pilate understood those words. That Pilate had a misconception about what it meant to be a king. Whereas when Jesus expressed himself as a king, when he came into Jerusalem as a king prophesied in Zechariah 9, he came in mounted on a donkey's colt, lowly, humbly, not as your typical king, as a warlord on his high horse, but as a low-riding donkey rider. Jesus comes as a king who is gentle and lowly to bring a deliverance that is a different kind of deliverance, something that his hearers don't understand. His reign is one that brings justice and peace, but it is different from that of the kingdoms of this world. It is a justice, it is a right ordering of society, but it is a justice that is bringing a justice before God, where one can be right with God, where we can live not only right with one another on a horizontal level, but right and to be accepted before God. It is a a kingdom that he brings that is a peace, not just of the ceasing of warfare, but a peace with God and a peace of the soul because one's guilt has been addressed. And so Jesus here comes as a king who brings the the promised benefits, but it is more expansive and more in-depth than the kingdoms of this world. Jesus then is a different kind of king. And when we recognize that, it prevents us from prematurely concluding that he must be worthless because he doesn't fit what we expect. We should start by thinking what kind of expectations or assumptions do we have that would make Jesus relevant or not. People mock things when they think them as being not true or not relevant. What would make things relevant in your life to take Jesus seriously? Jesus 
is someone that we should take seriously because he is relevant uh, for the real world in the way, as we mentioned, in dealing with guilt. Jesus understood his role as a servant king who would willingly suffer on behalf of his people in order to cause the kingdom of God to be established. This was the Lord's doing. And Mark includes this in his gospel because he sees the wisdom of God shining through even in the way the Gentiles treat Jesus. Jesus is going to be called king of the Jews by Pilate. And in the wisdom of God, it's true, but not in the way that Pilate conceives of it. And in the same way, the treatment of these soldiers, they are mocking Jesus as the king of the Jews. And while they may not intend it, what they are doing is actually ringing true as well in a very different way. One of the things that Pilate, or that Mark highlights here that the soldiers did was is that they made a wreath of thorns and they put it on the head of Jesus. Now, obviously, we said the soldiers were doing this to imitate Caesar. Caesar has his leafy wreath on his head showing his glory. Well, we'll give Jesus... Uh, whatever we find around us. We'll use these thorn branches and put it on his head. That's his crown. But in God's wisdom, we see more going on here. In God's wisdom, we see how what they intended as a, a form of mockery was actually pointing to his glory. That what they did to try and add to his pain and suffering was ultimately picturing his work of grace. When Adam was uh, first created, when God created Adam, he put him in the garden uh, to be king over God's dominion. But you remember that Adam sinned and all of humanity lost something of their glorious position. On top of this world, the earth was subjected to a curse because of him. And in Genesis, it tells us that thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. The earth is cursed because of Adam's sin. But now this man, Jesus, is being mocked by these Roman soldiers. And the symbol that is placed on his head, the symbol of his glory, is actually the sign of the curse. The curse of sin is represented in the thorns. And that is now resting on his head. But more than that, we can push beyond that. Because this servant king is not only being identified by sin as it rests on his head. But more than that, we can see God's purposes woven through even in the Old Testament story. In the Old Testament, the Lord promised Abraham that through his son Isaac, God's covenant blessings would be realized. But one of the most gripping accounts in the Old Covenant scriptures is the testing of Abraham's faith. When Abraham was told to go and to sacrifice that same son, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and offer him as a sacrifice on the mount that I have chosen. And you know that Abraham reasoned that God was able to bring him back to, from the dead because God had promised it would be through that son that God's blessing would be realized. And so because God's promises are sure, Abraham submitted to that instruction and he went to carry that command through only to be interrupted before he did. Abraham, Abraham, do not touch the boy. 
for now I know that you fear the Lord. But more happened on that occasion because Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw a ram caught in the thicket. There was a ram that was caught in the thorns. And Abraham offered up that ram instead of his son. And then he named that mount, the Lord will provide. The Lord did provide a sacrifice in the place of his son for sin. But now here is Jesus standing in that same area where Abraham was about to carry out that sacrifice. Jesus is standing in that same area with the symbol of the curse on his head as though he is a ram caught in the thicket, one who is serving as a substitute, one whose life will be offered up as a sacrifice in the place of others because this is God's provision. The Lord provides a king, a different kind of king, a king who will serve sinners by dying for them. He will give them deliverance, but not a physical deliverance from the Romans, a temporary relief from some physical regime. He'll bring a deliverance from guilt. He will give them an eternal rest for those who believe in him. He will make them right with God and he will give them peace in their souls. This is the kind of king that has been given to us. And so as we think about what is being presented here, we see the, the soldiers mocking Jesus. This guy's worthless. He's helpless. He has no power. He has no threat. We shouldn't take him seriously. And so they mock him up as a king only to beat him back down. But we can see the wisdom of God even happening through this mockery. Because not only is it fulfilling what would happen to the servant of the Lord, but it shows us what kind of servant he is. He is one who is willing to serve as a substitute in order to save sinners from their sins. He is the substitute that we stand in need of. So the reality is, is that Jesus is the king of the Jews. He is the long-awaited deliverer of God's people. He is the one who brings deliverance from the guilt of sin by means of deliverance of the consequences of sin. Why should we take Jesus seriously? Because every one of us is a moral creature and every one of us has to give an account before God. And if the idea of giving an account before God is something that we mock, scoff at. Then ask yourself, is there anything in life that you don't mock? Is there anything in life that you do take serious? Because if there is no judgment, then there really is no meaning in this world. There is no accountability and there is no transcendent order. There is a God who is going to judge. And we all have to give an account of our lives. So rather than simply scoffing at the idea of a judgment to come or scoffing at the idea of Jesus being a savior, what do we take serious? Where do we find meaning? And then where do we find hope? 
We take Jesus serious because we stand in need of a redeemer and because we stand in need of hope. So Jesus is not only someone to take serious because of his claims of being credible, but because he is relevant for our needs. He is the one that we need in order to face our guilt. But he's also important uh, and relevant in terms of knowing how to live. The one who endured mockery did it for the joy that was set before him. He lived with the prospect of what his suffering would accomplish, that is, the salvation from sin. He was willing to be despised, knowing it would achieve, and knowing the Lord's verdict would reverse theirs. And so the suffering king teaches us the truth of our guilt, but also of God's grace. Being mocked stings, but Jesus teaches us to look beyond mockery. There are worse things in this world than being mocked. There are worse things to fear than scoffing. We should live ultimately in the fear of God and not simply the fear of others and their acceptance or rejection. And that helps us then to think how do we navigate through life? Not only what do I take seriously, but then how do I navigate things with integrity? Jesus teaches us to live looking forward, not just trying to escape pain and suffering. Jesus did it knowing what would be achieved at the end, knowing the verdict of God would reverse theirs. And so if we are trusting in Christ, we can live with that same mindset of looking forward, but also knowing that the verdict of God is for us if we're in Christ and knowing that God's favor will be upon them. It helps, Jesus uh, then helps us relate with our own guilt. It changes the way that I look at mockery. Uh, It changes the way that I live. Those who trust in Christ uh, likewise then can despise the mockery that they face, uh, but press on for the joy that is set before them. Because the one who is crowned with thorns here is the one who now wears a crown of gold. And the one who had a reed as a scepter here is the one who in the book of Revelation tells us has a mighty scepter. He is all powerful, but he's also wise. He's able to work through all things for the the good of those who belong to him, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, the treatment of the soldiers, we pray that it would cause us to examine our own uh, treatment of the world, of the things of this world, and of the claims of Christ himself. Lord, we pray that you would prevent us from uh, slipping into a a spirit of cynicism uh, that simply can't take anything seriously or that simply uh, treats everything as being worthless. Lord, help us to realize our own state of need, but to ultimately glory in the work of the Lord Jesus, that he came to bring deliverance from sin, and he came uh, to bring uh, the joy of your salvation. So bless us, we pray, and take away our sins for Christ's sake. Amen.